Good evening, everyone. My name is Stephen Nelson. I am, I am the Dean of the Center for Advanced Study in the Visual Arts at the National Gallery of Art here in Washington, DC. And it is my great honor to welcome you to, to the Elson Lectures series for 2021. And it's an even greater honor to have Mark Bradford here with us tonight. The Elson Lecture Series features distinguished contemporary artists whose work is represented in the National Gallery's permanent collection. The Honorable and Mrs. Edward E. Elson generously endowed the series in 1992. The National Gallery is grateful for this support. I also wanna thank the following people for making this event possible. Stuart Campbell, the Associate Director of Hauser & Worth, and also National Gallery colleagues, Kate Haw, Ali Peel, Sarah Battle, Rachel Tanzi and Olivia Powers. And now to introduce our guest, um, Mark Bradford. Mark is an artist and co-founder of Art and Practice, and he's best known for his large-scale abstract paintings created out of paper. Characterized by its layered formal material and conceptual complexity, Bradford's work explores social and political structures that objectify marginalized communities and the bodies of vulnerable populations. Just as essential to Bradford's work is a social engagement practice through which he reframes objectifying societal structures by bringing contemporary art and ideas into communities with limited access to museums and cultural institutions. Bradford is exhibited to acclaim internationally and received numerous awards and honors, including his appointment to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 2019, the U.S. Department of State's Medal of Arts in 2014, his appointment as a National Academician in 2013, and a MacArthur Fellowship Award in 2009. Permanent installations of his work include what Hath God Wrought from 2018 on the campus of the University of California, San Diego, and Bell Tower from 2015 at the Tom Bradley International Terminal Departure Hall at Los Angeles International Airport. Recent solo exhibition, uh, six exhibitions of Bradford's work include End Papers from 2020, a historic survey exhibition of his early paintings at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth, Cerebrus, from 2019 at Hauser and Worth London and Los Angeles 2019, and also at the Long Museum West Bund, Shanghai. It's a pleasure to have Mark Bradford with us this evening. And we will talk, and we will talk about work, and we will talk about art, and we will talk about history. Um, and then after that, but before we end, we will take some questions from the audience. And so if you have questions, please place them in the in the chat. And so, as we said in our introduction to, to this event, um, what we're interested in is sort of the ways in which Mark's work um, sort of dovetails with history. And the sort of the, the event that sparked this event and the event that, that sparked Mark's work is the Tulsa massacre of 1921, which recently had its centennial, actually May 31st. And for those of you who don't know, um, the Tulsa race massacre was caused, started in May 21, when Dick Rowland, a 19-year-old black man, was accused, falsely accused, of sexually assaulting Sarah Page, a 17-year-old white woman. And most, most people didn't believe the complainant. However, on May 31st, the Tulsa Tribune instructed its readers to nab Roland, who was already in police custody. By that late afternoon, rumors of a lynching flew around the city. By that evening, 75 armed black men went to the Tulsa courthouse in, a, in an attempt to stop the lynching. They were met by some 1,500 whites. Some fired a, someone fired a gun, violence erupted. The massacre ended the next day on June 1st. As many as 300 African-Americans had been slain, 1,256 homes were burned to the ground. 36 square blocks were destroyed. The new Black Zion Baptist Church, which was a symbol of Black success in the city, was torched. About 10,000 African-Americans lost their homes. On June 2nd, the New York Times described Greenwood, the neighborhood that, where this happened, as a smoldering heap of blackened ruins probably pun intended. 
Tulsa was under military rule. And so we still feel the effects of that of that event. And, you know, the government never, never opened an investigation into the event until 1997. And so this is where this is where we began. And and I got here with Mark's work through an interview that Mark did with Thelma Golden uh, sometime around 2006, where he started talking about his two works, Black Wall Street and Scorched Earth, both in 2006, which were directly, directly related to the event. And so uh, let's start there, Mark. Um, I would love to know what led you to this event and, and to make work based on an actual event as opposed to the kinds of things you've been doing before that? Well, you, I was always interested in abstraction and the social at the same time. I was always interested in cartography. And sometimes it can be a heavy, heavy lift to get around the front door of race, gender, class, sexuality, I think sometimes figuration does it better in a way. Um, and so I just thought, um, how, how can I grapple with the, these things and talk about these things through abstraction? And, and so I had always understood that data can, re, can reveal information. With, it just can reveal information. And there were a lot of cartographers and Black cartographers that were doing data-driven, you know, maps. And I mean, I can remember uh, W.B. Uh, w. Dubois, um, he did these data portraits and, and really it was showing Black America, but he used this beautiful geometry and to show it. So I really was thinking that, hey, there is, there is a space that I can kind of go to cartography. I can go to particularly historical events and I can also make an abstract painting because it's almost impossible to completely erase the social memory from Greenwood or the social memory from Tulsa. So I thought, oh, that, oh, that's great. So that's really where it, where it began with kind of data and loaded data, loaded places. Of course, I'm not just random. I'm going to places that I wanted to have conversations with. And then the history of, of kind of modernism and abstraction as if it's, um, you know, the New York school, the flat, surface there's nothing but the surface there's nothing um and so i just thought wouldn't that be interesting to enter into the ideas of history painting data loaded data and let's kind of see what happens but it was it was very organic mm -hmm. I was just, i'm looking for a place to work out my own ideas mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now that is that's that's incredibly interesting, especially especially given what you were doing before that, right? Where you were you were looking at places, you know, often Los Angeles, um, and you were looking at artists, you know. And, and my favorite is Agnes Martin, where you know she did on a clear day, and then you you came up with on a clear day. You can you can usually see all the way to Watts, um, which I love. By the way. <laughs> Um, and, and so, so there, the, the conversation that you were having with abstraction, right. Mm -hmm. With abstract expressionism, with, with work after that, um, was already taking place, which, I, which, which is really interesting to me. Um, but with Tulsa, oh, yeah. it's different, right? Something happens. Uh, um, some, what I, is direct. I mean, I, it was direct. It was definitely, you know, mm -hmm. scorched earth and mm -hmm. and uh, Black Wall Street, this huge sprawling yeah. canvas. Um, I think I was I, I had heard a little bit because working in a hair salon, there's so many people yeah. that come from, especially the South. So Tulsa was very. Um, I had already heard the stories of Tulsa when mm -hmm. I worked in the hair salon. Um, Anita Hill is from Tulsa, right. um, so it wasn't like it was unfamiliar to me. Um, and I think because um, Black Wall Street was the economic center, I 
owned my own, my mom owned an own business in the kind of economic black center of Los Angeles and these ideas that these economic black centers all across the United States, some of them being disappearing in many cities. And just the fact that that was what was destroyed, I almost felt like the, 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 the kind of the artery, the, the main artery of, of the black community was kind of pulled out. And I just feel like I wanted people to understand very directly this story. I wanted them to, I, I tell you in 2006, when I did this work, most people just, well, what, what is that? They actually, I, I felt like I had to give history lessons all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? What happened? Um, and we're still not sure if the American government dropped bombs on right. right. They say they didn't, but eyewitnesses say we saw bombs coming from airplanes. So it has this still, it has this folklore history to it. And I think it, it goes into economics, it goes into migration, it goes into race relations, it goes, it just felt right for me because earlier work I was using in papers and people might've thought that it was really about modernism and Agnes Martin. Mm. And I, really, I guess wanted to let people know that there was just a little bit more on my mind than Agnes. There was a lot more on your mind. A lot more on my mind. But also, (laughs) I was going to say that it's a it's a very natural thing for me because no matter what I do, I can never out. I can never get out of my body ever. So, uh, so for me, my body is always present, and the social narratives that come with being being in a black body. It's always present. I can have this conversation with you. We can have this nice national gallery conversation. But as soon as I walk out this gate, and as soon as I make a right-hand turn, the first thing is this Black body that I'm born in. So the world is always reminding me of the vessel that I'm in. I forget. Mm -hmm. But I'm reminded constantly. And the news is reminding me. And the the, the headlines are reminding me. So it's natural for me to want to infuse sort of my abstraction with something that is, is always present, mm-hmm. never is not present. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's social and abstraction were, were easy bedfellows for me. Yeah. I can't even imagine thinking that I could erase one from another. I don't even, <laughs> I wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, I mean, and it seems to me that in that work, there's always the inference of a body, right? Be it be it in Tulsa, be it in some of the early works, certainly in in later works. Yeah. Um, that that you know, one one can sort of think through the um, the contours of the body, mm-hmm. right? Uh, through these other things that you're doing, and not necessarily just hair paper. So it's, that's the easy thing, right? Because we use them on our bodies, et cetera. But through the kinds of ways in which you you create and script space and layer space yeah. in your works. Yeah. I, it, it, oh, Stephen, I can tell you though, it was all just intuitive. I mean, I was just like howling into the, <laughs> into the wind. I mean, wasn't, I was kind of making it up as I went along. It wasn't I, that yeah. there was no huge strategy i'd like to say (laughs) it just wasn't it just wasn't (laughs) followed kind of um i just followed the conversations that i wanted to have Mm -hmm. and i can tell you 25 years ago (laughs) yeah to be a black abstract painter was not a conversation that a lot of people were interested in um and i thought oh wouldn't that be interesting to kind of um, shine light on something because I, I would start to look for it, but there's surely this black abstract painter, surely, mm-hmm. surely, surely. And I would dig through the history books and I would find them, but they weren't as readily available as the New York school. I mean, every once in a while we'd be a footnote. Right. So I just thought, isn't it? Um, I just followed the conversations I wanted to have. Yeah. Well, that's a really, that's, that's a great point about, about black abstract artists because they're, they're, you know, they were there, right? Absolutely. Um, they were, hard been, to find. you know, there's many um, of them. 
and and you knew one. <laughs> and so, I mean, there's there's Charles, right? Charles Gaines. Yes, exactly. Um, and so, where did his sort of tutelage sort of come into the picture for you, uh, Charles? Um, through in school, really, he was the one that showed me who to read and pointed me in the right directions. I wouldn't say that formally uh, we were the same, but as far as the readings and what to read to find information that wasn't as read, it was Charles, definitely Charles. Mm -hmm. And that opened up a whole plethora of ideas, as, as school should, I mean, yeah. if, they're, exactly. if they're doing their job. So that, yeah. Exactly. But had you ever tried your hand at representational work? I did for about a week. For about a week. <laughs> for about a week. Did you hide it all? Is it just no? None of it's good as it. it uh, mm -hmm. I think everybody finds their flow. You yeah. know, it wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. uh, this wasn't my thing. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting is that you sort of when you come into abstraction in those early days and, um, you know, in 2001, 2002, you know, up to up to Tulsa. Right. Um, you're using you're, you're really largely using found objects. Yeah. Um, you know, pieces of posters, those, you know, those weird posters that you see pretty much only in L.A. Right of events happening like in South of Pico, in South of South LA, those weird, wonderful posters of you know an event, a party, a this, a that, and they're you know finding their way into these works, hair papers, billboard material, the like. Um, but then you you talked with Thelma at one point about the material change that happened in your work with Tulsa paintings, and you said you know basically I'll give you two words: red paint. And you said that it was the first time you'd used art paint. Well, that oh oh oh, oh really? You know what? That is, yeah, I totally forgot about that, but that is true. Yeah, and I would love to hear you talk about that that material shift. Well, red paint and black Wall <laughs> Street, huh? Guess <laughs> <laughs> <It> was blood. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. You know. One thing I don't try to do is I don't I don't try to make anything a religion. Like I only use this or I only use that. And I now that you're mentioning it, I might have just started making a little more money and I could afford it. Really, mm -hmm. I might have just been able to like, oh wait a minute, I actually can go to the art store and buy some paint. Um, but in those paintings, I'm sure that I used it with the intention of it being that it that it felt intense, that it felt like these big washes. Mm -hmm. of blood mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. probably you know at that time yeah. yeah well then you but in that too you had said you know something about that moment and sort of intervening in you know sort of representing a history you know, sort of analyzing a history right gave myself giving permission trauma. yeah giving I yourself permission. permission to really talk mm -hmm. about trauma Mm -hmm. um, historical trauma, um, you know, racial trauma. Of um, I gave myself kind of permission to use that data that was more um, focused before I think even the data was more abstract or I'd make a reference to Agnes Martin and I would tag on a little Watts, but there was nothing in Watts that I was showing. This is what has been, that was the first time when I took data cartographer's data and I actually focused it on a particular part of the country, the part of the city mm -hmm. and na then named where I got scorched earth from was um, a reporter's uh, retelling. He said, it looks like scorched earth. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'll name that. And then, but then the other one, I just wanted to name Black Wall Street because I wanted people to say, oh, what is that? And to look it up. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I did a show with those, just those two paintings, those two paintings. Wow. And um, yeah, I just wanted people to know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure lots of people knew, but I just, I had an urgency to want to have these kind of conversations about mm -hmm. um, racial injustice using data-driven information. 
um, and, and, and what was done. This is what was done to this part of the city. Yeah. So it was, it was still using maps and breaking mm-hmm. them apart, but it was starting from a very specific, hot set of data. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, like, when, you're driving, it's like yeah. when you're driving on the, on the freeway and it says, you know, those number changers that you yep. see sometimes and it says, uh, to, to, to date, 1,895 people have died from smoking this year. You know, it's kind of like, oh, it, you have this, this kind of backward and forward thing that happens. You almost feel complicit at the same time as mm-hmm. off, not, imp- it's sort of both. I feel like sometimes data can pull you in and make you implicit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm I'm really interested in how you talk about data, in, in part because I used to make infographics for a living. And in part um, I love her. I love infographics. I love I, but you know, I, but as we know, yeah, data is never impartial. Exactly. You 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 read my mind. No, yeah. baby, it is not. Mm-hmm. And so then so then talk. I would love to hear you talk more about sort of because you 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 talk beautifully about Du Bois's data and what he's doing yeah. in in 1900 yeah. um, at the at the the Universal Exposition with oh yeah that's what it was and that um, and and it seems as though that that became a kind of touchstone for the way that you think about data and the way so yeah and I don't I don't want to go as far as to say gee data driven abstraction. But well, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely kind of like counter mapping. You know, you can take data and it just depends on where you get the data from. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some amazing Black Panther, um, beautiful cartographer of remapping San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, they're beautiful maps that were done. But if you look at the data, I mean, it's, it, is, it is very, very urgent. It is very dealing with racial injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, Aerial views of the concentration camps. I mean, you know, it's like aerial views of, um, I think that's why we understand the horror of what was done in in the Second World War is because they were data freaks. So we can have this, 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 um, Mm -hmm. the horror is there because it's, it's, it's impl- it's 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 hit it's in the data. We don't know how we don't you know there are some great um there was one kind of graphic that I saw and they were talking about the middle passage and they not the middle passage but the, the migration and first they showed one boat and then they showed another boat and then I don't know which graphic it was, but eventually when they started showing you saw all these boats just coming across, yeah. it was so strong. It was so strong. So it's just depending on which data we're talking about. If we're talking about how many people watch Keeping Up with Kardashians, that's a different type of data. But if we're talking about how many trans women are being beat and killed in New York City, mm-hmm. in this part of New York City, then that's a different type of data. Mm-hmm. So I've mm-hmm. always been kind of fascinated by, yeah. by data. Yeah. And what well, it can do. And it's also what we do with it. And so because it, Absolutely. It, we, we hide it, hide it. You know, a lot, I think a lot of data we hide it, we tuck it under. We don't want people to find out certain things. Absolutely. Or even if we do, you know, because we can give you, know, I can give you a set, a data set, and I can give someone else exactly the same data set. Right? And we and, see it all the time. We, we, yeah. we see it all the time. And, and I probably am a little bit fascinated right now with it because when you're talking about the pandemic, all we're all we're seeing is data. That's all we're seeing is maps and data, maps and data, and and the, and the inequities. So mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a Mark Bradford heaven to like I'm just like there's so much like mm-hmm. it's just right on your screen, right on your screen. Yeah, it's right on your screen, and it but it's also some of these things that the inequity, right, and the way that inequity gets spatialized. Right. Absolutely. We've been thinking about that for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so uh-huh. even in some of that early work in Las Moscas and Alateras yes. and you know, you were thinking about that, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Well, because space is not equal. Exactly. And and mm-hmm. um um 
the landscape in which we navigate is not equal. Mm-hmm. Advertising isn't equal. In a car, it's above your head as you're on the freeway. You want the Apple new computer. But people who ride the bus or walk, it's on the telephone poles and on the bus benches. Mm-hmm. And they're very different. One is aspirational. One is almost crisis management. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we know you're losing your house, so call me. I mean, those are the ones you see when you're walking. Right, right. You never we, see those yeah. on buildings. We pay cash for your house. Right. That, and it's at eye level. Yeah. Always eye level. Yeah, yeah. You never see that on billboards. You're never going to see that on Sunset Boulevard. We know you're losing your house. So I've always been kind of uh, yeah, curious about it. Yeah. But you also collect the signs. I collect one. If it's a merchant, I only will collect one. It has to be a whole lot of them. I'm not going to take all of them. Right, right, right. Oh, no, no. I didn't mean in, in ways. Yeah, but I've, I've been collecting them down years. and we can't see them. But I mean, in terms years. of taking it away and then using it. The language. I'll take the language. You know, it's interesting. You can always tell. The, the 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 crisis that is going on immediately by the signage on yeah. the telephone pole because it changes. Mm-hmm. It'll go from bed bugs to losing your house yes. to I know you don't have a job in this epidemic, so we'll train you to be a mm-hmm. like you can just follow, mm-hmm. you can just follow this kind of working on the ground by the signage. By the time I leave my house to here, which is 15 minutes, I can already tell what what the crisis is. You can there's usually about five at a time, the big one. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go a bit north of where you live, you don't see those signs. Pilates instructors. Yeah, Pilates. <laughs> Pilates instructors, you know, um, you see a few like um walk window washing, um putting up Christmas tree lights. Yes. And you li- like you literally can just see them as yeah. you move north or you move west. Yeah. It's a really good point. And it's you know, and it's not it's not as different in a place like Washington, DC. No, I'm sure it's not. I think having come from LA to DC. No, I'm um, sure but but I would love to I would love to hear you talk about how those those um sensations, if you will of seeing that sign of living in that area then translates into, into the work. Well, I'm always, um, Stephen, I'm always looking for doors that I haven't discovered uh, in my own blackness. Yes. And what I mean by that is um, it is, you know, we are a heavily watched, debated people. You know, and people want to oftentimes tell us what black looks like from the outside. And I'm, I think that people, especially now in the 21st century, are telling, we're telling, just give us some time and each person will tell you what their blackness looks like. And so this idea of plurality from within, um, that the diversity can happen at the same table when we're all the same color. So I'm always constantly not, I'm, I'm never looking for those easy equations of South Central. Okay. I'm never looking for those. I'm looking for those little things that people don't pay attention to that's, that is South Central. Mm-hmm. It is not the, the mm-hmm. grand meta narrative that the music industry likes to kind of, or the movies are constantly, but I'm talking about other stories that exist alongside the meta narratives. I've always liked smaller, I don't like meta narratives. I like kind of smaller stories. Mm-hmm. So with my eye um, turning to these merchant posters, when I found them, there wasn't even a name for it. I kept saying, well, what do you call those? They said, there's no name for them. So I started calling them merchant posters. Um, it just made it into the work because they, they just weren't meta narratives. That's all I can tell you. They were smaller stories that I could abstract mm-hmm. and that I was excited about. Um, how if you're if you're walking the same block every day, 
you have to start training your eye to look for other things other than the big buildings. At first, mm-hmm. you see big, big buildings. Then you start seeing the medium ones. Then you might start seeing the smaller ones. Then you might. So it's almost training your eye to kind of move away from the the, the obvious mm-hmm. and look for things that are a little more fluid, a little smaller. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly finding my own blackness, gayness, mm. tallness, um, yeah. age, my age, everything. I'm constantly remapping it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like constantly. It's, I'm all, I'm, 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 I'm my own cartographer, I think. You're your own cartographer. And so, and I think so, because constantly, mm-hmm. I, I think as you, as you move through the world, people are constantly telling you who you are. Okay, well, you're you're this age, and this means that. Okay, well, you're black, and this means that. And you're gay, and this means that. And you're tall, and this means that. I'm just like, oh, my God. Hold up. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Give me a minute. I'll tell you what, I'm, what I am. Just give me a minute. You know, I do a show, and then people, I have all these interviews, and people, they want to say, well, Mark, what, you know, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Well, how do you feel? I said, well, give me a minute. I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> When I represented the United States at Venice, whenever it was, 2000, something, one of back a couple years ago, um, yeah. everybody kept calling me, Mark, how do you feel? How do you feel? I said, I'm going to need a minute. I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> well, I remember visiting your studio as you were making that work. Oh, okay. I remember we were just sort of hanging out and gossiping and, and whatever. And, and, and none of that came up. No. We were just sort of, I was sort of fascinated by what you were building and, and you know, how I could hide under a layer or something like that. Because I think of your layers as places where we can hide, right, and just be. And, um, and, and it didn't, it never occurred to me. Well, I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, to then say, oh, how do you feel about, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, fill in the blank. Yeah. Fill in the blank, right? Um. But all that said, then, you know, what, what I would say is then not how you feel, but how do you think right, about, about the sort of ways in which, and I'm going to come back to this sort of issue of um, history painting, right? Um, because I, I, I do believe that, that those pictures from Tulsa are history paintings. Yeah, that's true. Um, I actually love those. I, yeah. And, but they do things, if, if one thinks, you know, sort of, you know, if I, if I put on my very geeky art historical hat, you know, I think of the history painting as something that accords to a certain social hierarchy and, and, and props up a certain social order, usually one in which we are at the bottom, right? right. Um, and so, you know, thinking of 18th, 19th century Europe. You know, Absolutely. That's where I got it. My favorite example, right? That's where I got it from. And yours, though, and I think that this is the same kind of move in ways with your your interventions in modernism. Yours works at undoing those those hierarchies. It's just count. It's just. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's painting, why can't it just be counter history painting? It's mm-hmm. just. It's a, like when I did Pickett's Charge. The kind of uh, yeah. You know, that I, I consider that very you know kind of. It's just, you know, it's just, I guess, revisionist. It's just me kind of, well, I have a different, I have a different opinion, you know, I have a different opinion. I think, I think we're grappling, historians are grappling with the idea that, you know, history is from a point of view. Art is from a very particular point of view. And the people that were allowed to write those books did not look like you and me. So it's great when we have to go back and include women and include um, indigenous people and include, yeah, you need, we need to, uh, because we were not, we were not, there was not enough equity when the books were written. So if we have to make people uncomfortable by going back and using some whiteout, I'm, you know, so I, I took that on and um, I, I went to Gettysburg and I watched the romantic Pickett's Charge cyclorama 
and the sad look on, you know, one was over of all the romantic Southern people and um, went to the bookstore and there's like that many books on the South and that many books on the North. But it was just me unpacking it and working with that kind of, um, I mean, it was Pickett's last charge. It was how far the, 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 the South, that's as far as they got into the North. Right. Right. That for me was a good thing. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But the fact that they called it Pickett's charge, you know, mm -hmm. that's very romantic painting. But most hist history painting is they take a, a, a moment and they romanticize it because they're in power and they can do that. Um, I, uh, my partner told me something the other day that was really, really interesting. And he said, you know, Mark, I was doing some re reading something on the Haynes Code and they had all these things that you couldn't do. And he said, and one of them was you could not show white slavery. Black slavery, you could. Right. And I thought that that was really, really interesting. I mean, you really think about um, film and the depictions of people and how um, how images and how culture are so in line with each other and how stereotypes. But if you think about the Haynes Code, something that was really, again, you know, data driven. Right. I'm always right. like and how it I just find these things kind of fascinating. So I always thought of history painting as being hugely problematic. Yeah. And a big, you know, um, it's false. It's as false as an Instagram filter, you know. Right. Right. And so I just thought I would love to unpack it a little bit and play in it and move it around, and because mm -hmm. I say so. And yeah, yeah, and 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 it's it's a really great way to undo its 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 position. Well, isn't that what's happening now? I mean, it's just people saying, look, I, you know, look, equity, there has to be more people at the table that look like America. I'm just, you know, we just, in everything, in culture and everything. Uh, it's just time. Yeah. Well, but, but I, I would, I would take this a step further because I think in, in your work, you're changing the table. I mean, it's one thing to bring more people in and, you know, okay, we're going to have more people at the table, but what it, it seems to me that the pressure you put upon us through your work is to change the table. Okay. Well, that's good because yeah. I, I, as long as it's through the work, um, that's to me, that's the best way. It's kind of, kind of, it, it's not on my shoulders. It's on the work shoulders. And, if we're, having, um, yeah. and if we're having conversations about it, mm -hmm. um, then I think that's 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 interesting to me. I never, I never. When people tell me no, especially early on, when people would tell me no, I really wouldn't hear the no. I would hear the well, no, right now. That I would kind of change it in my head. Oh, well, it's just no right now. I don't know why I would flip you were it. Right. <laughs> you were I was right. just like, oh no, it's it's gonna change. And I, I don't know why I didn't hear the no. Yeah. I just felt that what I was interested in had value because I was interested in it. Mm -hmm. And I would just I would put it on the table like everybody else, everybody else putting things on the table. So I never I just felt like my voice had value because I decided that it had value. You got to understand something. I mean, this doesn't, I didn't learn this in the art world. I learned this from being six and seven years old in all black community and not at all having, I had a hard time, you know, being gay, black for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I had to tell myself that I had value when there were so many people telling me that I didn't have that. I couldn't wait for, I love you, Steve, but I couldn't wait for Stephen Nelson to tell me that I had value. I had to just, yeah. Should I have value because I say I have value? Yeah, yeah, and that's really that's a great point, and it's it's really difficult, and so it was the only way. It was the only way. No, it was it was it was truly survival. Because mm -hmm. if I did not tell myself I had value, I knew that I would be dead. Mm -hmm. Dead. Yeah. Either I'd be murdered. Mm -hmm. 
I would lose my life because I didn't know how to say no when I should say no. Um, I knew I wasn't going to make it. So it was a survival technique for me. Mm-hmm. It really was. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the ideas that I, I was interested mm-hmm. in, I didn't care if anybody were interested in them or not. I was. I was interested in Black Wall Street. Right. Right. And, and you were interested, and, you, and you've said this, and you, when you said, well, you know, many, some people didn't know. I would, I would venture to say that when you started those paintings, many of us didn't know. You know, many. No, I, no, I knew that. And, um, I knew that, but I, I was interested. Yes. And so that was enough for me to create a body of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. interested. And that was enough. Yeah, yeah. But but you've returned to it. It was like an old relationship that was kind of a good one. You know, you ran, you, you ran, and it's like, you know what? I, I could do a little more here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was so surprised that I put on like in papers. And, yeah, yeah. I, you know, history is not linear and my material palette's not linear. So I don't, I can't say just because I'm not using this material anymore that I can't return back to it. Right. So I was really thinking that the, the end paper material belonged to a very particular place, black women's hair salons. Yes. But the whole narrative around Tulsa did not, it belonged to kind of the geopolitical, mm-hmm. what was, that was happening right now. And, and women, I was reading people coming there was an apology and, and what had happened to the, and, and so there was a lot of conversations around it. And um, yeah, I just felt like I wanted to do something. Yeah. And I named Tulsa Goddamn after Mississippi right. Goddamn, which is like Nina. Nina right. Right. And I and, did. A uh, and even then you have, this, <laughs> you have this wonderful merger of, of, of two, two different I wouldn't, bodies of work. I guess I don't know if that's as precise as I want to be there, but you, you Mississippi got down the Tulsa work from 2006. And then suddenly in 2021, you got them both together. And I find that really fascinating. Um, Why not? Why not? I'm always like, let's see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, my, about 50% goes in the trash, but sometimes you get something good. Only 50%? <laughs> That's yeah, great. About, about 50. I, yeah. I can kind of hold on to about half mm-hmm. of my work. The rest is just has to dump. Mm-hmm. Going. Sometimes it goes up to 75 and then the gallery gets nervous because I don't have nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. But um, so then, so then in the return, the canvas is not red. I'm tempted to, to put it up on the screen. Maybe we should do that um, to put the three up and, and let you can analyze them. What's that? You can analyze them. You can cycle. Let's analyze. Let's analyze, okay? I'll just be quiet. Here we go. Can everyone see that? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So these are, this is Scorched Earth from 2006. Wall Street, also from 2006. And then we have Tulsa Got Them from 2021. Mm. And, um, and you know, now that, that we see them, I'm really fascinated by the differences in those paintings, and perhaps more than I need to be. But, but, um, but that there's, there's, there's a, it feels like there may be more of a working out of that event and when what that event is doing in, in the work. What the, in which one? In, in moving over the 15 years between the, your first Tulsa episode and your second. I, the only, I, what I can tell you honestly is when I looked at them, the last one looked more gestural. It looked a little more free. The other ones looked tight. Yeah. Tight. You know, like I had something to say and I'm tight. I was tight. <laughs> it's red, goddammit. <laughs> you were seeing red. <laughs> that suit was tight. I had no room. Um, yeah. The other, the last one, I think that I've absorbed it in a different way. Yes. Um, and maybe 
it, it was a little more gestural. The last one felt more gestural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I can say, you know, yes. looser, a little looser. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It's funny, though, because I can look back on my way. Like, naturally, when I talk, I'm naturally very loose. I've always kind of just said what's on my mind. But if I look at my work, that wasn't always the case. I, I've seen my work look earlier, much more constipated, much tighter. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, I mean, tight, tight. And I've watched this kind of progression of giving myself more and more permissions. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just, as an artist, you have so many hangups in your head about what you can and can't do. And it's almost like you spend your life working through giving yourself more and more and more permissions. I mean, first it's school. Yes. You feel like you get out of school and you have to sound smart, you know, like all the books you've read. And then once you get rid of that kind of father figure, then you develop your own father figure of what should and shouldn't. But it's that journey that kind of, um, giving yourself more and more permissions to, to hide less in the work, mm-hmm. hide less in the work, be braver. And I'm not talking about brave meaning you have to, but I'm saying mm-hmm. just, you know what, just show a little bit more vulnerability, you know, just more Which, and more yeah. vulnerability, yeah. you know. Which is really hard to do. I think so. Even if you say you're being vulnerable, it's the work that will say if you're being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. like, I think human beings are like onions. We peel very slowly. Anybody who sits down and they meet you and they say, you know, I, I'm just an open book. I'm just an open book. Like run, like literally like run. Yeah. yeah. We peel slow mm-hmm. when we feel safe. Yeah. When we feel. Yeah. When we feel safe. And yeah. I, so I think in the last painting for me, I think it's a little more open <laughs> in a way. I think you're right. I think you're right. And but that first one, you know, that 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 first one with that orange bloody sky, that was a... Oh, I just remembered something about that painting. What? I just remember. And now I know why that... That painting was unfinished. Really? Yes. I was working on that painting. And then I did that one move with the little papers. You put it back up. Mm -hmm. And I went on to do something else. Something else. Mm -hmm. I looked back at that painting and I said, ooh, Mark, this painting should be See the white squares? You know those white squares? You see those white squares at the top I was supposed to go over the whole thing I was supposed to cover the whole Mm -hmm. and I said to myself Mark this painting looks finished but then the second voice was oh no it looks way too unfinished Uh -uh. I gotta fill it in I gotta just and I remember talking back and forth in both voices Mm -hmm. and that's why that painting was successful is because I allowed the vulnerability mm-hmm. and uncertainty to exist. Mm-hmm. I feel that the second one was tighter. Black Wall Street was tighter. Yeah, yeah. Um, more locked down. Mm-hmm. I do remember, now I remember that pain. I remember, yep. That's and I was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know how when you, you know how you have a style and it's just yeah. yours? Like mine, I'm always usually in t-shirts and jeans, no matter yes. what. It's always a t-shirt and jeans. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, somebody convinces me, no, Mark, you need a whole new look. And I, you know, I, I, I go and I get the, the look, right? Whatever. Right. right. I wear that for about two days. And then I say, oh, you know, I'm just going to get this t-shirt on today. I'm going to get that. T- Next thing you know, I'm back to t- t- t-shirts and, you know, I'm just back. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm just comfortable. This is, this yeah. is me. You know, so I think that uh, in my work, like, I don't mind not being uncomfortable. 
it's funny in my body, I like to be comfortable with my work. I kind of push myself to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I really, I really, I really don't actually, yeah. I really don't like being an artist. You don't like being what? I don't like being an artist sometimes. Oh. Not really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The day to day, I find ugh, sometimes a little much. Just, just, just too. So, what brings you? What brings you back? Because I'm fascinated. It's like a bad relationship. You just like it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it. I just, I'm just, I just go back. I just go back. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, just, it's amazing. It's, it, it, you know what? I'm not. I'm not finished with it yet. You know how you just some a relationship. You just got to go all. The way. Yeah. And I really think that I'm probably never going to be finished with it. I think I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for, you know, at the risk of sounding really obnoxious, there are a lot of us that would be very happy with you not being finished with that relationship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so do you want to take a couple of questions from, yeah, from our, our our virtual audience. Let me see. I'm going to scroll up a bit. Um, here we go. Um, let's see. Oh, Ricky Wamega um, um, asks, Hi, Mark. I've always loved your work. In one interview of yours, you recounted how you were influenced by painters like Mark Rothko to become an artist, specifically an abstract painter. You had prints of their works hanging in your bedroom and you woke up daily seeing them. Many of the artists you cited were not enamored by the sociological and political content of their work as you are. Their works were mostly influenced by a metaphysical dimension. They were interested in spirituality and philosophy. How could you claim these masters as your influences yet ostracize yourself from the spirituality and philosophy, excuse me, which formed the very foundation of their work? Uh, that actually, how do you think that what do you think they would have thought of you? <laughs> oh, they wouldn't have liked me at all. Um, uh, you know what? Um, I've I've always been fascinated by this idea of spirituality and this kind of innate um interiorness that um especially being black, it's kind of you know put on me. You know, it's kind of like, well, we have soul, we have rhythm. So this this these ideas of uh, a lot of a lot of times, you know, European men, um, or this sort of at this sort of New York school, and this idea that sort of Pollock was channeling the sort of native, this idea of channeling something. I don't believe in any of that. So I was sort of fantastic. I was always fascinated by um, that mm-hmm. as a another romanticism, like another romanticism. Um, And if I'm, what am I channeling? I mean, I have soul, right? Isn't that the the narrative? I have the soul, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm channeling, what would I channel? My inner Scandinavian, you know? It starts to fall apart, you know? Yeah. And so I don't, I'll tell you this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's on the other side or if there is another side. I don't really know what the shape of quote unquote spirit looks like, Mm -hmm. but I can certainly, but I don't think it's something that we can actually press play and channel it up. No, I don't. You were just probably smoking some weed and drinking something and you were just Mm -hmm. getting loose. So I've always been kind of, um, yeah, it's a, she's, I mean, it's a, what do you call it a paradox? Or not. And, 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 it and, sounds and, like it's a it's like yeah. how can you go to the club? How can you go to the club Saturday night and go to the church on Sunday? I know many people that do that. You just define the I blues. do it. <laughs> you just define the blues. The poet Kevin Young says the blues are Saturday night and Sunday morning. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's exactly what he means. Right. Yeah. Oh, so and then you Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so let's see, we've time for one or two more. Um, here's one from E. Krasnopolar. Um, there it's a twofer. Um, first, what are you reading, listening, and watching these days? And second, 
did data and cartography enter into Pickett's charge? And how did you think about the battlefield as a space for that work? Oh, what am I, um, what, what, what am I watching um, right now? Uh, Oh, I'm watching something on CNN, um, The History of Jerusalem. Hmm. It's a 12-part series. I've always been fascinated with, like, that city. It's, like, so historical and it has layer upon layer. So that's what I'm watching. Um, Or anything that has to do with K-pop. Anything. Um, Or those are the two kind of, don't you love it? K-pop, History of Jerusalem. That's literally me. It makes um, sense. <laughs> and, um, I understood Pickett's charge through the actual battle. I did go to the battle um, uh, space. I did go to the where it occurred. The thing that fascinated me the most were what they call these um, witness trees. It's still there's a few that still stand from actually when the when the battle was going on. Um, the space that I was prop that, that influenced me the most was the actual Hershorn and the fact that it was a, a cyclorama. Yeah. Um, the architecture really led me in in that way. Yeah, and that's about all I can say. That's great. That's great. So so then did you but then did did cartography and data and the things that you talk about vis-a-vis Tulsa? come into play here as well? No, mm-hmm. no, because it was, su- well, it was su- it was really history painting. It was yeah. such a very specific place. Mm-hmm. You could go to Gettysburg, mm-hmm. you could go to the high watermark, literally have a, a marker at the high watermark of the Civil War. The data itself was in the land. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. that was, and that was, uh, again, we're talking about data being um, biased. I mean, you really got the feeling when you went to the cyclorama at Gettysburg and you felt the bias. You felt like the old South. You know, you really felt, you, you, you really felt like they kind of wish they would have won. Oh, yeah. And, the, you know, it was, it was so somber at the end. And I was like, wow, this is a... Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's something really, really peculiar and, and sort of specific to Civil War monuments. Yeah. Civil yeah. War. Yeah. You know, it's like, and these reenactments and mm-hmm. the whole, you know, like, mm-hmm. the, only thing, <laughs> the only thing I did, I did look, because I, I, I got the data from the, the, the I can never, he has a strange name, Philippe, Philippe, Philippe Do. I, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. But that was the, the artist who, who um, painted um, yeah. Charge. Um, I just looked, I was trying to find black people. Black people. In the painting. <laughs> I couldn't look with that. And they, they, <laughs> fight in the, they could not fight in that time because I think the Lincoln had freed them, but they hadn't mm-hmm. had um, battalions yet. But they were a few who were working with the doctors, mm-hmm. helping as the doctors. So there were a few. I did find so then in that sense, the painting was data. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's I, I didn't think about that because I did look it up. I did. Data. <laughs> well, this is, this is really terrific. And I'm afraid that we are, we are at the end of our time and we don't have time for more questions. Mark, it has been so wonderful to talk with you and to have you share with us about work and life and and your bad relationship with being an artist um and it's one that we that we very much appreciate um there there you know there are artists in the world who change the way that i think about work and the world and life and you are one of those artists and it you know and i remember writing about you 15 years ago yeah that that we did the catalog through sycamore and it, it changed the trajectory of how I work. And, um, and I'm very grateful for that. And I'm also grateful for you joining us here 
in this virtual space. Um, I'm sorry we weren't in person, but I'm not sorry we all didn't have to travel across the country. <laughs> um, and so, and I want to thank all of our, our, our attendees for being here with us for this hour. Thank you, everybody. I can't see you. Thank but. you, everyone. Enjoy your evenings for those of you in the East and for those in the West. Have a nice dinner. Um, see you all later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.